0: This is Ozarks at Large. In the spring of 1904, white mobs, over the course of four days, lynched 13 black men in the small town of St. Charles, Arkansas, on the White River, in the southeastern part of the state. It's one of the deadliest lynchings in United States history. Beyond the deaths and the names of the victims, little was recorded by newspapers at the time, and the incident, for the most part, was rarely discussed. Mary Hennigan, a graduate student in the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas, spent months learning what she could about the lynchings. Her report is published today as part of a project called Printing Hate. It's produced by the University of Maryland's Howard Center for Investigative Journalism. Last week, Mary came to the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio to talk about her work.
1: And when I was doing my reading for the project is when I stumbled across a couple of the articles about just lynching in Arkansas and I noticed that Saint Charles was mentioned. Uh, And then when I went to look for more information on St. Charles, I didn't find anything. And so that was why I picked Saint Charles as my topic for my paper, because I was really intrigued that it was so deadly, thirteen black men killed in three days, and there was no other information on it. And so I wanted you know, it was a lot more challenging of a project to pick something that didn't have information on it. But it intrigued me and I wanted to know more. And that's important history.
0: So how do you find out more?
1: So you have to talk to people in the community. And that started to be very difficult. Um, because the lynching was not well known, people don't know if they're descendants because the names aren't out there. So uh, I started with historians. I started with authors in the state. Not many people could tell me more than I found online. So that was when I started, you know, getting into Arkansas County and southeast Arkansas and talking to the Delta Cultural Center and the Heritage Historical Societies, and I wanted to get a connection in. I looked for descendants online, and there are 13 victims to the massacre. And I was like, surely one of the 13 will have a descendant and they did. I landed one descendant, and then that opened the door. So I ended up talking with six descendants and one other individual whose grandfather lived through the lynching, and they led this story. Their narrative was the first time that the black narrative was ever being told. The original newspaper reports didn't do interviews with African Americans, and so through my interviews with them, I was able to build something that hadn't existed before, and they provided details that had never seen the light of day pretty much they you know because their relatives lived through um, the lynching that one individual she was able to tell me like details that did not exist because the descendants of the victims their relatives died in the massacre and so a lot of them had the information that existed in the newspaper report that I knew as well but they did provide some of that additional you know stuff that wasn't in there. How did you find that first descendant? So I used Ancestry.com. Okay. And I was wary about using it at first because, you know, as journalists, we love to use these tools, but you have to go into every tool you use with a grain of salt. You know, what if it's a different name and what if I'm not reaching out to the right person? And then I just tell this stranger unrelated all about this project and they're like, what in the world? Um, But I was very lucky to find a descendant of one of the victims and— She's actually a descendant of three of the victims because Mm -hmm. they were related. And so through her, her name is Mitzi Hafford, and she's included in the article. Um, Through her, I talked with some of the people that she told about the massacre after she started to talk with it about her family. And the story of the massacre was known in her family, but it was not told in her Mm -hmm. family. And so she would not have known about the massacre unless she had done her research as she did.
0: Did you find – as you, as you talked to other descendants of those who were murdered, did you find that they were at all reluctant to talk about it? So,
1: yeah. Um, you know, silence in that community is pretty common because you don't want to spread that fear. You don't want to be, you know, some, an elder – in your family and telling the next generation about these horrifying things. You want your children or your grandchildren to grow up in a nice environment. So that was something that I found in the articles. And also, people who still had relatives there were a little wary to share this information because they were worried about their safety. Still? Yes. And so, as a journalist, you know, one of our goals is to minimize harm. And so that was always something I had to keep in mind when I'm sharing these very sensitive topic, you know, their talks with me were, we talked for a very long time, and they shared some really deep information with me. And I didn't want to exploit their stories. I wasn't doing this for anything but to get the story out there. And so I really had to keep in mind how to keep them and their relatives safe.
0: Did you think also about the fact that, I mean, you're a fair-complected Right, human being. I mean,
1: yes, that was you know something that was in my mind the whole time. I'm a young white woman. Um, I'm still getting into my journalism career, and so I went into every interview. You know, even if someone outside of my age demographic, I go into the interview just thinking different. And so in this case, you know, um, no one looked like me, and. I just went into every interview objective, educated, and I wanted to make them feel comfortable. You know, people love to talk about uncomfortable. They use that word all the time when you have to talk about race. But for me, you know... This story was so important and the history wasn't out there. I was just having a conversation with these people and it was an important conversation.
0: Face to face conversations?
1: Um, so I met with one source in St. Charles um, whose grandfather lived through the massacre. Her name was Janice Streeter. And she took me around the town, showed me, you know, what may have been there at the time. A lot of those things no longer exist. New highways kind of changed the town as well. Um, that was the only person I got to meet face-to-face and also um, the Delta Cultural Center museum curator I met with as well.
0: And that's in Helena, West Helena. Yes. Yeah. What's St. Charles like? It's on the White River. It's in Southeast Arkansas.
1: Yeah. So St. Charles is a pretty small town, about two or 300 population. When we were out there, there wasn't a lot of noise, no people walking around, anything like that. Not a stoplight in town, no gas station. Um, It's on the White River, but not much goes on at the White River that I saw. (laughs) There is an open water access where the ferry would have passed through in 1904. Um, But other than that, you know, there's not much. There's rural farmland. uh, Cotton, rice, soybeans are popular there. Duck hunting is popular as well. But that's about it.
0: Do you think working on this for months and talking to this These descendants of people who were murdered, who were lynched uh, by these white mobs in early 20th century. Has it had an effect or changed you at all?
1: Yeah, so this was a really taxing story for me to write. Being involved in anything sensitive, you know, regardless of this topic specific, if I had taken on a different hard story, it also would have affected me. But with this one, I was thinking about death and killing every day for four months. And so it was hard for me. Some nights I couldn't sleep. I had nightmares of lynching of people I didn't know. And so going into the story objectively... You know, it's very important to me, but it was very taxing on my mental health. And that's something that I just kept in mind. And some days I just had to take breaks. Sometimes I couldn't read five articles about lynching. I just had to, you know, take a breather. And that's where some of those conversations with the sources helped. Uh, They were telling me really intense stuff, but, you know, hearing it from them just brought a different viewpoint to me because I wasn't in my reading you know, i wasn 't being able to create any other thoughts in my head, but in a conversation, it felt different and so somehow that helps me
0: what's the challenge for you when you 're trying to piece together what you can from an incident that happened a hundred and almost one hundred and twenty years ago?
1: Yeah, so you know a lot of erasure happened with this story. There was a lot of stuff that wasn't included in the newspaper articles in the first place. State historians told me that. They think that the press just didn't bother to get the information.
0: They just didn't think it was...
1: So lynching, unfortunately, at the time was just really common, and so it was everyday news. So some of the details, you know, we can't really speak for the journalists at the time, but we can probably say that, you know, it was just stuff that everyone saw all the time. So some of the headlines were so vague, just two more slain, and readers knew immediately what was happening. So... Piecing together this story for which almost nothing exists was difficult. That's where the interviews came, you know, to be the most important factor for the story. I was able to also find census documents. And so I could track the decline of African-Americans in Arkansas County. And, you know, I mentioned the erasure that happened with the newspaper articles, with the population decrease, and then also with significant black gathering places. So they had a church in 1904 called the Hopewell Church, it no longer exists today. The cemetery that was behind it is still there with many grave sites of victims, um, descendants of the victims. But, you know, those, it's not well maintained. The headstones are torn apart and then pieced together with others that aren't their own. Um, a significant high school that was built in the 1940s no longer exists. Um, so just a lot of stuff that would have helped years and years mm. ago no longer exists today.
0: Where can we read your article?
1: You can find my article at Capital News Service for the Howard Center for Investigative Journalism. It's part of a project called Printing Hate, where we looked at newspaper coverage of lynchings across the nation.
0: Mary, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Mary Hannigan is a graduate student in the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas, and her work about the St. Charles lynchings of 1904 is part of the project Printing Hate. It's from the University of Maryland's Howard Center for Investigative Journalism. You can read more at lynching.cnsmaryland.org. We also have a link to her story at ozarksatlarge.com.